0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. We are glad to have you here at Liberty Bible Church. If you would take your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5. A little bit of a jolt to us after several weeks of being out of Nehemiah uh, to come back in maybe after the new year. Take me a little bit just to get my bearings. Where are we in the study of Ezra and Nehemiah? And uh, it's been good to be back in it. I so much more enjoy being in books of the Bible and preaching through books of the Bible than topical series. So I, for one, am very glad to be back in Ezra and Nehemiah. I do want to give one announcement while you are turning, and that is if you are the type who write a check and put it in an offering basket, if you could continue to make that check out to Calvary Baptist Church. For anyone who's new and saying, what's Calvary. <laughs> That's what we were—that we used to be called uh, for many years. I don't know, 55 or so, and uh, we changed our name last August and. Uh the Secretary of State would love to have us change it. They just are taking a little bit of time. And uh, so as we are in that process with them, we will definitely update you on when that uh, becomes official and you can change that. It just might be a little bit. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for uh, continuing to be gracious when we hand checks to you and say, can you please change the name on this one for us? So we are grateful for uh, your graciousness to us. Uh, and this morning, we'll be doing, taking up the offering at the end of the service, um, and for the next several weeks, we'll be trying that out as well. So in the second song, right before the benediction, we'll be taking up an offering, and uh, our band leader will notify you of that at that time. So if you would stand in the honor of God's word as we read it together, Nehemiah chapter five, <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter five reads this. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our... Excuse me. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year, Of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people." "'Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people.'" The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Just to give a brief recap of Ezra and Nehemiah, real brief as we look at a series that goes from ruin to restoration. Israel was taken into captivity because of their sin and rebellion. God led them into captivity for their own good, not for harm, that they might come back to him spiritually as they repented of their sins and saw what God had done for them, that they would come back and follow after him to obey his laws. The ruin we see Jerusalem was sacked, the temple destroyed, and the walls of the city torn down. God used, though, a pagan king to bring the people of Israel back from captivity to rebuild and restore the city. It happens about 500 years before Christ. We saw several leaders who led the people of Israel back into the city of Jerusalem to rebuild, to lead them back to follow after God and worship. We saw Zerubbabel and Ezra, and now Nehemiah. All along the process, there has been opposition from other nations and from other Israelites. But as Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel lead the people in worship of their God. God continues to grow his people, and we continue to still see episodes like today in Nehemiah chapter 5, where it very clearly shows us that the people are not yet perfect, that there are still great sins that are happening, and God in his kindness has allowed a leader to come in, here it being Nehemiah, one who has the fear of the Lord and leads his people in caring well for one another. This morning, we're going to look at the fear of the Lord. The fear of God leads to the care of his people. The fear of God leads to lots of things, allowing us to walk in holiness. But here we see the fear of God leads to the care of his people. In Nehemiah 1 and 2, we saw Nehemiah was a man of prayer, one who studied the scriptures, who took action to be used of God in answer to his own prayers, And then in Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4, we saw Nehemiah exemplified Christ-like valor as he led the people of God to rebuild the walls at great risk to himself. And this morning, we'll see two ways in which Nehemiah leads his people by example. This morning, number one, Nehemiah cares for others by taking up their claims. We saw that as we began reading in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, there rose a great outcry. All of a sudden, Jews come to him, it says, uh, people and their wives coming with a great complaint or an outcry against their own brothers. The outcry here is from Jews, about Jews, it is about how the people of God are relating to one another. So the, the problem is, as Nehemiah founds out, uh, finds out from the people, is that the people are starving. They're out of money. They cannot buy grain there's a famine in the land, they're mortgaging their properties, and they're even going to the extent of selling their children into slavery. All as a means to try and stay alive. In this time in which they're rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls primarily in Nehemiah, to be able to have the people descending to such a level of selling off their children One must come to a scene like this and see dire circumstances, a situation that is no doubt life and death. It is serious, and so serious, in fact, that the narrator of the story here includes the wives coming, giving the complaint with their husbands. The rest of Ezra and Nehemiah, often the the women or the wives are not mentioned. And yet the, the complaint is so serious that here you have both husband and wife mom and dad, coming to complain to Nehemiah. Why is it that the people are facing these hardships? What brought about all these difficulties that they're facing, that they mention? Now, some of it might have come because the work of rebuilding the wall that Nehemiah is overseeing is so urgent. You remember maybe a couple chapters ago, there's opposition from people who are outside of the city of Jerusalem, who are taunting the people of Israel and saying that they can't rebuild the wall or making threats, that they're going to come in and that they're going to kill the people of Israel. So the urgency of rebuilding the wall, and we saw in the end of chapter four, as the people are rebuilding, often they're doing so for many weeks at a time without going back to their homes, certainly not back to a farm. As they're staying there, they're working with one hand and defending their people with the other hand. The situation was serious already. You have the rebuilding of the wall that is happening. That's pulling people, men especially maybe, from their farms, boys, who can't help dad bring in a harvest because they're working on the wall. We see Nehemiah's work ethic is one that is stringent. As the men are not even, he mentioned at the end of chapter four, they're not even changing their clothes. They're working all hours, helping one another. As some are working, others are sleeping. Some are keeping watch so that the walls are being built in a quick manner. If the farmers and their families are staying in the city and not going out to their field, then what's happening to their fields? They're not being worked. No crops are growing. Nobody's taking care of the income that could be coming, the food that would be available for them back at home. They were staying and defending the city. They were staying and working in solidarity, which is a great thing with one another. But another and more significant reason, and one that is brought up here, is that the people who are working to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem are being preyed upon by their own people. So that while you have a famine in the land... And others who aren't able to go out and work their fields. You had some who desired instead of helping, caring for them, sharing their crops, who are preying upon them. Wealthier Jews who are loaning them money to get them through a rainy day, who are buying their fields so that they might be able to have grain, to get seed, to be able to have food, and who are purchasing their children as servants for other nations. Instead of helping them, their own brothers and sisters are adding more pain and suffering to them. Instead of loaning them a few bucks to get them out of a hard time, they're extorting them and taking advantage of the situation. Not only that, but as we've mentioned, the text says there's a famine causing food to be in short supply and no doubt driving up the prices even more. Economically, the rationale might be that if the parents can't afford to feed their children anymore, if they sell them as servants to other Jews, then at least their children will still live, right? If they sell them to wealthier people, then those children will live and hopefully be brought up in a Jewish culture and religion. And for the parents, less mouths to feed. But no doubt as any parent who loves their children can attest the situation would have to be extremely dire for that to even become a consideration. Let alone, as the text says, they were selling their children to other nations. The egregious nature of this sin that is happening, the abomination of selling people but selling children to other nations Said, had even gone to the point to where Daughters were already enslaved, verse 5. We have a situation here that is coming to Nehemiah. Moms and dads bringing this outcry, and it's Nehemiah who desires to care well for his people. And Nehemiah who takes on their complaint as a leader, one who desires, through the fear of the Lord, as he'll mention later, to be able to care well for the people of God. The Jews of significant wealth are thinking only of themselves. They are not thinking about the effect of their financial dealings that will have on the ability of the poor to feed themselves and care for their children or devote themselves to the work on the wall. But here they're willing, at all costs, even watching a family selling off its children to care for their own economic situation, while the rest of the city and the peaceful coexistence that is happening in the Jewish community is falling apart. The shame that is occurring on the heads of those wealthy Jewish people who are treating their brothers in such an inconsiderate way. Nehemiah's outcry or his response might be like yours if you're reading this text, is furious anger. Furious anger, one who is justified in seeing this egregious nature of a sin. People, his people being mistreated by their own kinsmen. Not at the hands of a foreign enemy, but someone from within. They were being harmed and abused and cheated by their own people. Neighbors cheating neighbors. There is a good and right place for taking up the situation of someone else and being angry at the cruelty or injustice someone is facing, isn't there? Definitely is a place for us to have a righteous anger towards sin that is so clear. Notice Nehemiah even recognizes that his anger might want to get out of control, as anger so quickly can, and he checks himself, the text says. Nehemiah says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And it's a strange phrase, but there in verse 7, I took counsel with myself. Now, I thought maybe this is just the ESV, poor translation in verse 7, but almost every translation is something similar to this. I took counsel with myself. One commentator, Jim Jim Hamilton, states that more likely we can see that maybe the wording would be his heart was ruled. He got control of himself. He rules his heart so that his emotions won't rule the day. Before he brings charges against those who are at fault, he checks himself. He thinks it over, gets a hold of himself. Nehemiah won't enter this egregious and sinful situation emotionally drunk with rage. This is wise for all of us to remember. Parents, it's wise for us to make sure that when we discipline our children, we never do so in anger. But that if we need to, we go and we give ourselves a time out. That we go to another room, we we go and we pray, we are calm and level-headed. We care well for our children and for the way that they view discipline in the same way that God desired the people of Israel to view discipline when he removed them from the land as a means of bringing them back to the good and gracious hand of God. Discipline is a good means, a God-ordained means, and we don't want to harm that image to our children by doing so in a way where we are angry that we are doing so to hurt them But parents, don't allow your emotions, your anger in the situation to overshadow what is necessary and good and helpful for your children. In the same way, here, Nehemiah desires to not do the same. So before he interacts with them, the text says, I took counsel with myself. There are appropriate times and manners in which anger is initially the right response. But the anger is directed toward the sin or situation that people are being harmed or treated in an inhumane manner. Derek Thomas says, it is a sickly Christianity that insists that the initial reaction to every circumstance be acquiescent forgiveness. Notice what he says, it is a sickly Christianity that insists that the initial reaction to every circumstance be acquiescent forgiveness, that no matter what the situation is, oh, we have to automatically forgive them. I was just recently reading of stories just happening in Nigeria, of homes and churches that are being broken into, people who are being abducted. And in the newspaper, it's saying that this is happening on a daily basis. That's an egregious sin. Uh, my blood gets boiling over stuff like that. Because I imagine my own children in our home in the middle of the night, or I imagine our church family and someone breaking in to here in a place where there is no help who can come. They were saying in the article that it's hours later that some help might show up. We can't even imagine something like that. And it's appropriate times to be able to have anger. It is not always appropriate or wise or good to immediately say, we need to forgive them. We will get there. But right now, the injustice that is being done, this is where Nehemiah is. There's a place to interact with the people, but there is an injustice that is being done. This is helpful, I think, in the sense of as he will press into the fear of God, we don't want to portray that that always looks as someone who's going to roll over no matter the situation. This is egregious sin, And Nehemiah makes it clear that the appropriate response, not being told that it wasn't by the narrator or by God himself, is one that can be angry here, and then checks himself. We see also in the New Testament that Jesus responds harshly, doesn't he, when he drives out the money changers and merchants from the temple. Paul responds with righteous anger when the purity of the gospel message is threatened by the conduct of Cephas in Galatians chapter 2. So that's the problem. The problem is that you have brothers who are uh, extorting one another, uh, brothers who are sinning against one another, kicking them while they're down. And what's the solution? After Nehemiah gets a hold of himself, takes some time to consider the situation, he brings charges against the nobles and the leaders. Now, in the bringing of charges, there's no guarantee that they're going to accept the charges and move forward. But the charge is that they are exacting interest from one another. Now, When we read the first several verses, we saw things that were worse than that, didn't we? Causing them to be in a place financially where they're selling people off as servants to other nations or even to themselves. We're we're seeing people who don't have enough food. We see a famine. But here, Nehemiah gets to the, the quick of it and says, you are exacting interest from one another. When someone can't pay the amount that is given, the the interest tacked on to the, to the top of it. And depending on the interest and the terms of the agreement, it can become quite impossible to pay off the amount and get out of debt. I remember when we lived in uh, the Norfolk, Virginia area when I was in seminary, and you would have these young boys who were 18 years old getting military jobs and paychecks for the very first time, and good paychecks. And they're living on base and They're buying cars and motorcycles and trucks. And so all around us, we're seeing all of these vehicles and all these military guys who are driving them around. And we're also seeing a lot of payday loan places that would give you an advance on your paycheck in the same place. So you can go buy your motorcycle and right next door, if you can't pay the payment, they'll give you an advance on it. Well, isn't that kind of them? Just kind of handing out cash to people who ask for it a couple days early, and yet the interest rates on those places is, is egregious. I was just pulling up, I pulled up a PDF last night, 400%, 400%. On a loan, that would be 14 days. So 14 days APR, if you don't pay it back in 14 days, 400%, that, seems a, that seems a lot, right? Right. Anything over like 20 seems ridiculous. But if it's a 30-day, then it only goes down to 200%. So I would pick the 30-day if it was me. I don't know. But the charge of the interest, whatever it is, is getting them into such a hole where all they can do is look at the possibility of selling off children. Nehemiah gets to the quick of it. You are exacting interest. Now, why does Nehemiah go to a practice of exacting interest brother to brother, Israelite to Israelite? Well, because in the Old Testament, it is told that they can't do that. You can't exact interest from them. God states it over and over again in the Old Testament. This is not the way that you treat one another. Exodus chapter 22, verse 25. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. That seems to be pretty clear. That what the people of Israel were doing was outright disobedience and rebellion against God. What they were practicing... Instead of just getting money and being like everybody else who gets interest, God says that I ought not to be when you are dealing with one another. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says the same thing. Verse 19, you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. Interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest. You, know, you can do that. But you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. They are practicing, they are engaging in sin. And Nehemiah is calling them out on it by getting to the quick of it. The details are all over the place. What's happening? The famine. We get it. All these circumstances. What's the quick of it? You're disobeying the law. God said this, in the way that you interact with your brother, when someone cannot pay, you don't charge them, loan them money, and then seek to try and make a financial advancement because of it on behalf of your brother's situation. It's looking at your brother in a situation, and almost hoping people go into debt so that you can profit from that. But that's not the way that we're going to interact with one another. That is not the way that God allows his people or wants his people to love one another, to care for one another. The Israelites were not trusting that God would bless them even if they loaned their money and didn't charge interest. At the end of the day, they trusted in themselves and their own shrewd ability to earn money by interest through the means of charging extra to their brothers and sisters who are poor and who are struggling in the midst of famine. The issue was not that interest, in a sense, as we read, was inherently wrong, but because charging a brother, one who's a member of the people of God, was. It's a way of looking at your brother, not in love, but as a means of financial gain. When Nehemiah lays this out to the people, there is not a word that is spoken. It is silence. You are exacting interest He holds a great assembly to bring the charges to them, and they were silent and could not find a word to say. You have been selling your brothers to other people. You have been selling them to other nations. Now, evidently, it seems like, by the way that Nehemiah responds, that this problem was something already occurring. That Nehemiah was already aware of it. It seems he has already been working with his brothers to buy back some of the people who had been sold into slavery. Verse eight, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. You're doing this sin that you might sell them even to your own people and enslave them only for financial gain. Nehemiah is already working, trying to undo the heinousness that his fellow Jewish brothers were committing. Not only was Nehemiah trying to buy back all those who were sold as servants, but later even states they're trying to lend them grain and money to help those who are in need. Again, the issue is not that they were wealthier than their fellow fellow Jewish brothers, that wealth alone is an issue with God. It's not. The problem is not about someone is rich and another is poor. The problem comes when you make wealth your God. When pursuing money guides you and not a desire to love and obey God, then that person will do all sorts of sin and grievous actions that they never deemed imaginable, that they never thought possible. I would never do something like that. Well, for the right price, you ever do that? For a million bucks, would you eat this? How much would it take to eat a slug or a worm? I don't know. But if the price is right, most of us kind of look askance and like, well, if the price is right, it's it's just a worm, right? Like eventually it's going to go down and now you've got money in your pocket, right? But to what point are you willing to go down to do something sinful to make extra money? The issue is not wealth. If the issue was wealth in Jesus with everybody that he met, every wealthy person he met, he would have told them to do exactly what he told the rich young ruler to do. And that is sell all your possessions and give them to the poor because the having of stuff is wrong. But Jesus didn't do that. He doesn't do that to Zacchaeus. He lets Zacchaeus keep his money and make the decision on his own what he's going to do with it and give it back to those that he wronged. Jesus doesn't tell everyone that he meets that they have to give all of their resources away. The issue is not money in itself, but money in what place does that play within your life? Nehemiah is relating to his brothers that this sin that they've been doing is wrong. According to God's law, they've broken God's law. And that they have all of a sudden made money be their God, one that caused them, because they were pursuing money and not after God and his laws, to disobey God. So Nehemiah at some point has to say enough is enough We've already known and been trying to work to counteract what you've been doing and selling people off to other neighboring nations. We've been trying to give food and help those who are short. But at some point, you have to stop the problem at the source. You can't stop the effects of sin until you get to the root of sin. So Nehemiah goes to their hearts. The reason that the wealthy Jewish nobles are doing this is not merely because they want to make more money though that is a result of their actions. But the reason Nehemiah says that they are sinning sinning against God and not walking in the fear of the Lord, excuse me, the reason Nehemiah says is that they are sinning against God and they are not walking in the fear of God. They are not walking in the fear of the Lord. Ought you not to walk, verse 9, in the fear of our God? so that you can prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies, so that they don't see the way that we interact with one another, the way that we're willing to sell people off to them just for financial gain. The reason that you are doing this is because you're not walking in the ways of the Lord. You're not walking in the fear of God. Ought you to walk in the fear of God? The remedy is that those who are doing these horrible actions towards one another need to walk in the fear of their God. They need to remember that God is the one true God, the one who made them, the one who has given them laws to obey. This God, their God, demands perfect obedience to his law as well. They must stop their sinning, obey God's laws, and live in such a way that shows they have a new master and Lord because they have been redeemed by God. They are not their own, but they are God's. So Nehemiah tells them to stop this charging of interest, give all the land back that they bought, give them, the people, what they stole back. An amazing work that God did in their hearts. The people promised to do just that. All of these rich Jewish nobles promise, even swearing before a priest, I think that's pretty serious, right? swearing before a priest that they are going to do this, and they do. They promise that they're going to give back all that they do. And Nehemiah even details out all of the things from olive orchards to vineyards to houses to food items, all these things back to the people, and the people promise that they do. And the remainder of Genesis, the remainder of Nehemiah 5 tells us what it looks like to fear God and have lots of resources at your disposal. Nehemiah is in a place of leadership and apparently very wealthy, but instead of leveraging his wealth to get more money like they were doing or to secure comforts for himself, Nehemiah looks to make the load lighter for others. First, Nehemiah cared for others by taking on their complaint. Now Nehemiah, number two, cares for others by daily seeking to make their burden lighter. I'm going to see what he does in verse 14 and following. It looks as though in these verses, six of them, that Nehemiah is bragging about. Here's the way that I acted as a governor. Here's the things that I did. But I think once we get into it and we see the crux of the matter, we will see that this is an application of flowing out of Nehemiah modeling for the people what living in the fear of God looks like this is the reason that you did these things. You're willing to go to the point where your brothers are selling each other because you didn't walk in the fear of God. Walking in the fear of God and persevering in it, here's what that looks like in Nehemiah's position. Daily seeking to make others' burdens lighter. That flows from a heart that wants to worship and follow after God, that trusts in his word, but also one that applies, looks to, how is that Apply? How does that flow out of a heart that genuinely wants to fear God? It looks like someone, like Philippians chapter 2 says, considering others more significant than ourselves. Like Romans chapter 12 says, in honor, preferring one another more than ourselves. So Nehemiah here first does not take what is owed to him. As a governor or ruler of the district, he had the opportunity to have an allowance, a food allowance where the people before, the governors who came before him would take that. Uh, It came with 40 shekels of silver. And also later it said that it came with food and wine. He has an allowance. What a wonderful job to get a job that comes with all this food and money given to you every single day. How many of us, if your job came with free lunch at the cafeteria or 50 bucks every single day would turn that down? I'm not turning it down. I'll just put myself out there. I'm not turning that down. An opportunity to be able to give in more to your job? Nehemiah is able to get this stuff. But Nehemiah also knows where the stuff comes from. And he knows that by taking the food and by taking the money, it not only fattens his pockets and his belly, but it also deprives his people. It also is laying a heavy burden, as he states, on top of his people. The people were already subject to heavy taxes. They're in the midst of a famine. They're struggling to have food on the table. They're at a point where they are willing to sell their children to other nations because of the bills that are piling up for them. Add to that taxes, add to that now a daily allowance that is given to a governor, and it is just one more thing added to the crushing burden of the week. You know what it's like. There are times where the bills pile up and you're going, what is happening? One more bill comes and that electric bill comes and you see that they raised the rates on it. And you're like, no way, not right now. We're in January and all those bills from Christmas just came due. And all of a sudden, heavy burden on top of heavy burden. The people were already subject to heavy taxes, but now to have to pay the ruler money to give of their stuff to provide food for him would be too much. The other governors, as Nehemiah said, did so, but he makes it clear that for 12 years, he and his brothers did not take of the allowance that was offered to him. They desired to lighten the load on the people. Instead of seeing how his position might provide for him, he used his position to provide for others. Nehemiah was focused on the mission God had brought him there to do, and that was to rebuild, not accumulate wealth and power and position. And the reason Nehemiah gives for these actions is that he feared God. Verse 15, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. There is a recognition God has made these people that I get to serve and lead. God has made them as people in his own image after his own likeness. How can I care well for them? Well, people made in God's image and God's likeness, just like me need food. They need resources They're limited right now. How can I take of their limited resources something so simple as that and more so to be able to, in looking in awe and reverence of who God is, desiring to obey Him, not obey our own desires to heap wealth up on ourselves. Wouldn't it have seemed quite hypocritical if Nehemiah comes down on the Jewish nobles and says, you've been exacting interest from your brothers, stop it right now, return everything back. All the while he's like, but those 40 shekels of silver and all that food and wine on a daily basis, keep it coming. Wouldn't that seem quite hypocritical? And yet Nehemiah doesn't do so. And he, for 12 years, never took it. He also, in the last couple verses, gives generously of his own money. Did you notice what he said? Verse 17, moreover, There were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense? And then he goes on to list what was prepared. Every day, an ox. Now, that's quite a lot, right? An ox, choice sheep and birds, every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. He's not having a few fellows over, 150 men is quite expensive. And so generously giving of his own money, not only taking what was owed to him, not taking it, excuse me, giving generously of his own money. Leviticus chapter 25 tells us in verse 35, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Not only should you not extort him and earn interest from him, but you should support him, bring him into your home. Be generous. And this is what Nehemiah is showing. It says, verse 36 of Leviticus 25, take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him food for profit. Why? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. That's why a fear of God that says, this is who our God is. This is what he has done. And the more that we as God's people see who God is and study the character of our God and study the actions that he has done on our behalf, the more that ought to naturally, spiritually be shaping us as we interact with one another as we interact with one another as God's people. Similar to this story, where this is all about God's people interacting with each other, but also will shape the way in which we interact with others outside of the church. The fear of God, because he has redeemed us. There was another time in Israel's history when a boy was sold into slavery by his brothers, where a series of injustices came on him And a horrible famine descended on Egypt and lasted for several years. The famine was also in the land of Canaan, and Israel relocated to Egypt. Joseph, as second in command in Egypt, led the people to buy food. But when their money ran out and couldn't buy food anymore, he had them sell their livestock to Pharaoh in exchange for food. At the end of that year, when the food ran out again, and now the money's gone and the animals are gone, They realized all they had now was their own bodies and their land. So Joseph bought their land and made them servants of Pharaoh. But in this story, in that story in Genesis 40, the people were asking for it. They wanted to live and not die. They saw it was better to lose their land and their freedom and yet live in abundance. Joseph was kind to them. He let them stay on their land. He gave them seeds to plant food. He made them promise to give only 20% back to Pharaoh, a tax. But they got to keep everything else. And their response was one of overwhelming joy. You have saved our lives. Here, though, it was not done kindly to save the lives of the people. But Israel's own brothers were kicking them out while they were down. They exacted interest from them to make it harder to get out of debt. There was another time in the story of God's word. When another son of Israel was sold for the price of a common servant to those who would not put him to work, but who would eventually put him to death. This one was a son of God himself. Yet he came not for money, power, and position. He came to make the burdens that we bear infinitely lighter. In fact, he calls us to cast our burdens on him because he cares for us. And he did all this willingly because he feared God and desired to obey his father. So too, as we as God's people ought to fear God, be in awe of him, and obey him. He has redeemed us. He gave his life for us. So we ought to give our lives to him and for him. Everything that we have and all that he has given to us is to be used how he desires and commands. The issue here is not just about leadership. It's not just about caring for people. But those are fruits of a heart that says, ultimately at its root, I fear God. As we close, let me read just a couple of passages that speak of the fear of the Lord. The place where it does it the most in the scriptures is in the wisdom literature. Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Psalm 1-7, or Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 14-27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15, verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the, fear of the Lord. Than great treasure and trouble with it. Did you catch that? Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. In Proverbs twenty-two, four, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is boredom, poverty. No, is riches. I couldn't think of a third thing. I was waiting. Is riches and honor and life. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. All these things that God has granted to us in the person of his son, because I fear God, I'm going to treat everyone as made in the image of God, worthy of respect and dignity. And I will not exploit someone for financial gain. The rich in Israel did not have the fear of the Lord, but because I fear God, I do not need to take advantage of every pleasure I can afford, but instead I want to be generous to others because Christ Jesus has been generous to me. The call is given by Nehemiah and seen by his example. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. The book ends in this way. This is the end of the entire book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon himself, it says, the end of the matter is this all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And the fruit of the fear of the Lord is not to burden other people, but to make their load lighter. Our lives ought to be marked by generosity. We should give our whole lives away because Jesus gave his for us. We can only do so because the fear of the Lord leads us to freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ to not be submitted to the yoke of slavery again, as Galatians 5 says, but freedom to obey, freedom to live for Him, freedom to see the redemption that Christ offers as one that transforms us through and through. I said I was going to close, and I will, with these lyrics from a song we're going to sing here in just a second. It was finished upon that cross, now the curse it has been broken. Jesus paid the price for me. Full the pardon He has offered. Great the welcome that I receive. Boldly I approach my Father. Clothed in Jesus' righteousness, there is no more guilt to carry. It was finished upon that cross. All of our sin, all of our guilt on put on the cross, and the fear of God brings freedom and rejoicing and life. The songwriter continues, death was once my great opponent. Fear once had a hold on me, but the son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed. Yes, he rose that we would be free indeed. Let us pray. Our father, we are so thankful that we are people who have put our faith and trust in you and have risen to newness of life in God. God, we stand in awe of who you are and what you have done. And we ask that you would continue to shape us and change us by that. And would you continue to work in the lives of those who are here, uh, either bringing them to faith in Christ for the very first time, helping them to see uh, the freedom that comes in a life of, with God, that comes by the fear of God, to help those who have already put their faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, that we would continue to delight in fearing you and see the joy of fearing you, see the beauty uh, you give in a life that is committed uh, to being in awe and obeying by your grace, through your spirit, all that you have commanded of us. And when we fail to continue to find joy in coming back to you, one that we trust in, one that we love, and one who promises to forgive again and again. Father, we pray that you continue to help us delight in fearing you until we see you face to face. In glory, in Jesus' name, amen.